Hello and welcome to the Stuck Brain Podcast. All things mental health with a different approach. We look at the research, but we also discuss real life experience. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Stuck Brain Podcast. I am your host, Eric Osterland, and in this episode, I have a co-host named Pinky. She is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. If you want to know more about her, you can go to the stuckbrainpodcast.com. We have a really great episode for you today. We're going to talk about integration coaching in regards to ketamine and other psychedelics. Now, before we begin, we need to go through some disclaimers. Ketamine and other psychedelics are like other medications, and they have pros and cons. Please do your research before you try any of these medications. And also, don't try anything out without a mental health professional. Once again, this is not medical advice. This is just our opinion. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I am excited to talk about our guest today, Dave Dubois. He is a meditation teacher, psychedelic guide, and an integration coach. To find out more about Dave, please visit his website at radicalbalance.net. Hello, and welcome to another episode of our podcast. Today, we'll be discussing psychedelic integration. We would like to welcome our guest speaker, Dave Dubois. Welcome, Dave. Thanks so much. Really delighted to be here with you, Pinky and Eric talking about one of my favorite topics, psychedelic integration. Thank you for being here. So I think psychedelics and integration are generally still a, a, a new thing in, in Western medicine. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what psychedelic integration is? Yeah. So I think there's a human traditions that have been practicing psychedelic medicine for hundreds and, and thousands of years have their own ways of integrating the changes that come from psychedelic experience into everyday life. And with the increase of psychedelic use in Western contemporary culture since, you know, the 1950s up through the, the current psychedelic renaissance, there hasn't been a lot of coordinated study and understanding and frameworks for, for how to do integration and how to understand integration. So maybe first I should give a definition of what do we mean by psychedelic integration. Psychedelic integration is the process. It's a process of translating the experiences from psychedelic medicine sessions into positive lasting change in daily life. That's really the goal. How do we take the remarkable, sometimes incomparable experiences that take place during psychedelic experiences that are often really different than ordinary consciousness? How do we bridge that gap and create some kind of meaningful link between those two experiences so they don't just fade into memory? It seems like more and more psychedelic clinics and practices are putting an additional emphasis on integration after administering psychedelic treatments. Why do you think it's important for integration to be incorporated with psychedelic treatment? I think that what I've seen and what many others observe is that without integration, the changes don't quite stick. They don't quite last. I think a lot of people hope for 
a kind of a silver bullet where they take the medicine and it it does the magic and the change happens and you're just healed from that point on. And I wish it worked that way, but yeah. it, it just doesn't seem to. Like like many other things without creating the right environment and the brain and the nervous system and the psyche, the the changes from psychedelic experiences just aren't likely to take root. I actually have a lot of clients ask me, why can't I just take the psychedelic and be done? Why do I have to do this additional work? And I was actually watching a show, John Oliver, where he talks about psychedelics. And he said that psychedelics are not the actual treatment. The treatment is the therapy or the integration. And the psychedelic is a tool to help assist in that therapy and integration. Yeah, I, I really think that that's right. I agree with that. I've heard Eric say many times that, you know, it's it's not really about the medicine per se. Yeah, it's I, I put the medicine at about 30 percent of the whole equation. The integration, I believe, is closer to 70 percent. And that's why I don't like certain advertising that we're getting a lot now, like psychedelics are like doing 10,000 hours of therapy in one hour. Right. Right. It, it's just pointing us in the wrong direction. So the general public is like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to cram it all in in one hour. And that's not really what we're seeing. I don't know how much research we have on it, but I don't think the research points to that it's just all the medicine. Yeah. And psychedelics have the potential to increase neuroplasticity. It can turn off our usual thinking or the default mode network and allow other areas of our brain to communicate with each other, resulting in neuroplasticity. And and this process is what can lead us to change the narrative that's currently stuck in our head and hopefully lead to long-lasting positive behavioral changes. And, and, And I think that's where psychedelic integration comes in and is so important in the practice and treatment. Yeah. And one thing I'd say just in agreement with what you're both naming and talking about is that a lot of humans go to concerts and clubs and take psychedelic medicines of various sorts. And it's what we don't see is some huge percentage of them coming back spontaneously healed from some mental difficulty that they've been dealing with. It's it's really through both the the kind of crafting of intention at the beginning, which really has a big bearing on what kind of integration you might do, and then what you do during and after the experience that's really going to put you in a position to have something to integrate and and then to start doing something about it. Yeah, and form new narrow pathways in the brain. Yeah, so maybe let's talk a little bit about about how it works and and you know what does what does integration look like what should people be trying to do after their amazing or not so amazing psychedelic experiences and how does integration play a role there we'd love to hear more from you about all of that <laughs> i think one of the first and most important points that i would mention is the process-oriented nature of integration. It is not even a process that has an end point. It is a, a, a progression through taking information that has been revealed or surfaced through psychedelic medicine experiences and starting to figure out on an ongoing basis, how do you practice including those in your life? How do you take parts of yourself and parts of your experience that are 
that feel unfamiliar or possibly disconnected from your daily life and and start to bring them into communication with one another. So the first thing would be the fact that it's a process. It's not a one-time thing and it's not something with an endpoint. That's one of the first things I would say. So like anything else, it's something that requires regular practice in order for for you to see improvements from it. Yeah, I love that you said that because I see so often that clients, they want a goalpost, right? right? If I get here, I'm going to be cured. If I get here, I'm going to feel better. And then they get to that point or close to that point and they still, then they just move the goalpost a little bit further, mm-hmm. right? So just to accept, hey, don't put a goalpost out there. Just know that it's a journey yeah. and it's not going to end and keep moving with it and appreciate it for the path that it is, that it is. I think is important. Dave, what would you recommend? I have a lot of clients that the hardest experience is when not much happens. And navigating that, because I, I see a lot of clients where their, their experience will be muted. It won't be, you know, they won't have an epiphany, which they were hoping for. And then trying to process that, because I see sometimes they go into that uh, that thought pattern of, I did something wrong. Yeah. I'm broken. It's my fault, which in itself is kind of showing their thought pattern that they take it on personally. How would you recommend coping with that? I think this is a really important question and a valuable discussion. I, I do think that this is a little bit more of a ketamine-specific discussion than some of the other psychedelic medicines where there's less of a of an occasion where nothing happens on what is known to be for most people an active dose. But the thing that can happen with ketamine is that one can have the experience of, quote, nothing happening for a variety of different reasons. And oftentimes, and I think this is the important point, the fact of nothing appearing to happen within a ketamine session can be actually is it a huge opening and a, a pointer to some very specific piece of one's life or psyche or history that is coming to bear on one's life right now that is showing up through the experience of a a blocked or a minimal kind of ketamine experience. And then the ways to integrate are a little bit different because if you're having important visions or insights or something like that in in a psychedelic session, there are ways to work with that content afterward. And if nothing comes up, there are different ways to, to work with that, different ways that you might journal, ask yourself questions, start to explore that blockage after and outside of the, the psychedelic session. And you may find riches in that blockage. I'm glad you brought that up, the difference between ketamine experience, psilocybin and, and other ones. You are right, from my experience working with clients Ketamine sometimes can be muted, like they don't have a great experience, but you don't see that often with the other psychedelics. Yeah, I think that often with other psychedelics, if you are holding on too tight to the experience being some particular way or going in some particular direction, what often results is something that can kind of resemble a challenging experience where the way that you're holding it and the way that it's naturally going create an uncomfortable tension that 
you kind of need to work on surrendering into, or otherwise you might have something like what would be described as a, a bad trip. But with ketamine, it's often the opposite, where if you're holding too tightly on something or you're looking for insight on one topic or issue in your life and there's really something else that naturally wants to come up and needs to come up, that the impact could be just shutting the whole thing down where not a lot of movement and activity is happening, where you're having this strange experience of saying, maybe I've even worked with ketamine at this dosage before and I know that it can be effective, but it's as if I just took a sugar pill right now or something and it can be really perplexing. So it sounds like perhaps managing your expectations prior to going into a psychedelic session might be considered pretty important. How do you help your clients navigate that? I think that one of the best ways to manage expectations and to set yourself up for a good, fruitful process of integration is through working on the right intention. I think that intention is almost like the gardening and, and the seeds that we plant that have to do with what you might harvest during the integration phase. A really big part of that is working with a qualified guide or coach or therapist who is familiar with psychedelic medicine and the process of healing with psychedelic medicine who can help you craft the right intention for where you are and what you are working with before a session. Intention is almost like a lens that the information from your psychedelic experience is going to come through. So one of the, the best ways to not overexpect or expect the wrong things is, is to really work on refining that and getting that clear and not tightly held, but clarified before your experience. So Dave, I really like that you mentioned intentionality. I was doing some reading behind psychedelics and current research shows that psychedelics can be very promising in helping clients quit substances like nicotine and alcohol. However, there's another argument that when LSD came out in the 60s, a very large percentage of the population was engaged in smoking nicotine, and we didn't see a drop in nicotine consumption at that time. Of course, you know, the argument there is there has to be intentionality. You have to put that intention out there and go into your psychedelic session with, I want to decrease or quit the consumption of this particular substance. So from what I understand, there's a lot to be said about intentionality and uh, what you get out of your psychedelic session. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting observation based on the nicotine and the, the LSD. And yeah, I think that it's pretty clear that you've got to put in the work both before and after to frame it and to, to integrate it in order to have those changes really last. Now, I'd like to branch off of a question that Eric asked earlier about having the nothing happened experience. A lot of clients are very anxious and timid to go into, especially a first time psychedelic experience, because they're afraid of a bad trip or a negative experience, something they might not be able to handle. How do you help prepare clients for these kinds of situations? I think one of the most important things that I've found in, in psychedelic coaching over, over decades is understanding where people are in their healing process and, and adapting 
intention and the integration activities based on that. And so what I mean by that is everybody's experience and path is unique, but I've noticed some patterns over time that I would describe as like four different phases that people go through in this process. The first one I would call settling, where people are actually just getting the nervous system to settle to the, to the degree where they can start to see their mind and see how it's operating and possibly even start to see some of the things that are driving some of their, their experiences. And then after that, after the settling, you begin to start to see these insights and what's going on in your experience. And then a third phase would be that of growing, where you're really starting to practice and train the skills that would allow you to let go of old habits and let go of old behaviors. You're kind of scaffolding up your well-being in certain ways. And then the, the final phase would be the phase of integration, where you're really now translating those new skills and the previous experiences that you had into your daily life. Intentions should be different at each stage of the way because if you're hoping for some kind of healing or growth when, when you are still so overwhelmed that, that outside of the medicine experience, your nervous system is just in a constant state of, of anxiety and overwhelm, it's unrealistic to, to have an intention of, of deep healing or of letting go of something versus the intention to just settle and find some tranquility and stage by stage move through what you're looking to get out of the experience and then how you're bringing that into your life. I'm so glad you you talked about that, how the intentions are different throughout the experience, because I've seen that as well. You might want a certain thing, but you, you might not be ready for that thing. And so you need to change it throughout. Do you see a higher likeliness of having a mystical experience if the client sets intentions ahead of time? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that intention is so impactful on, on the experience that you have that it can be the difference between having a non-meaningful psychedelic experience to something that is, that is transcendent or, or deeply meaningful. And furthermore, I think it can also be the difference between uh, an experience being a, quote, bad trip versus a meaningful, challenging experience that seen through the intention that you're bringing into the experience, it's almost like the intention can serve as an anchor that can make meaningful, challenging parts of the experience that you might be having. I think that intention is so impactful that there's a reason why, even as we're here to talk about integration, we find ourselves talking so much about intention. What you do on the front side of things is going to have everything to do with what's possible and what you're working with on, in the after. So what happens in integration? What is the work that yeah. we're doing to see those positive, lasting benefits? Yeah, so I would say that the first and foremost piece of that is around reflection. What did you learn about yourself and, and your patterns of thinking or behavior during that experience? Did you gain any profound insights into anything? Are there aspects of the experience that seem meaningful, that seem troublesome, that seem important, that seem 
clarifying. So one part of it is reflecting on what happened, and that can be done through journaling is one of the, the primary ways that that can take place. Uh, another form of reflection that I really encourage so many of my clients who are working with psychedelic medicine to do is to go back and lay down with an eye mask on and possibly optionally the same music that you had used with the medicine and just lay there for 20 minutes and see what comes back to you. See what resurfaces or is revealed just by doing that type of active participatory reflection. So that's one part of reflection. And another part of reflection is sharing what you experienced with others. It's really important. I would advise that it's sometimes more beneficial to share it with people who have a lot of experience with psychedelic medicine or have done their own psychedelic work because it can be hard to describe and hard to make sense of, especially if you are experiencing things that are starting to get into the mystical. It can be difficult to talk about, but that kind of meaning-making with an integration coach, with a community, with other psychonauts or people who are healing with psychedelic medicine can be really important. And a third part of reflection that I think is really important in my experience is taking in content that has to do with making sense of the experience that you just had. My first LSD experience, I was quite a young person, and I was in the university library the very next day, digging into books, trying to figure out what just happened to me. What was that experience that I just had? And yeah. through, and that was so much harder back then when you didn't have TED Talks and the internet and things like that. But through seeking out and taking in good information, that's another way of, of helping you reflect and, and make meaning of your experience. So those, those are sort of three major areas under reflection that I would call out just to begin with. Where would you go to take in good information? Because I, I could see someone going to Facebook or TikTok afterwards, and I usually do not recommend that. Yeah. I do not recommend social media for several days afterwards because they tend to cause us to ruminate and catastrophize. So what sources would you go to to yeah. kind of help educate? I would seek out content that has been produced by, by pioneers and respected professionals and innovators in the field of psychedelic medicine. There are, there are those who have been around for a long time doing this. There are organizations like MAPS that are just deeply based in research and genuine concern for, for human well-being and scientific research. And there are newer sources as well, like things like the, the Third Wave podcast and things like that that have really come about as part of the psychedelic renaissance. And I would just say one of the things that would serve best is to find a diversity of viewpoints and material. You know, you can go to something like the Third Wave, which has a lot of really great information, but it's interesting because they have a whole lot more information on where to source medicine and how to turn it into a business than they do a page even on integration. So that's a curious omission. If you look for integration resources on the Third Wave's website, you're not going to find a whole lot. So I would look around until you start finding things that seem both reputable and connected to 
established people in the field. So based on what you said, it sounds like psychedelic treatments or sessions can take you in a bunch of different places. You can have a nothing happen experience. You can have profound experiences that you may not necessarily know what to do with. So it sounds like it's really important to be involved with another party who's trained in integration to help guide you through this experience. I think so. One of the arguments that I've heard recently behind efforts to get more structure and rigor around how psychedelic integration is effectively practiced is just noting that there are not a lot of trained and experienced professionals out there who know how to do and lead integration work. I've seen people have profound psychedelic experiences and go talk to their therapist and neither of them have any particular idea what to do with it or how to translate that into positive changes in daily life. So there's a real question of, of application. How do, you, how do you take the reflection that you've done and actually start to have it affect your priorities or your core values or your conception of your purpose in life? How do you get it to start affecting entrenched habits that you have and and how does it result what actually do you have to do to have it result in more gratitude more empathy more openness more self-love and that's where the the rubber meets the road and and trained and experienced professionals really need to know what they're doing i would agree it's who you integrate with that's important because i do tell a lot of my clients have your experience but if somebody's not into psychedelics, you don't necessarily want to discuss it with them. Because what happens is I see clients, they go to their friend that's anti any kind of medication, anything. And then they'll just be like, oh, you sound like you're really high. Or you were on drugs, of course. You know, and they discredit it. It's generally not received well. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would kind of avoid those and then integrate with people, like you said, that know what they're doing and can foster it in a positive, positive way. Yeah, I agree. So we talked about how intentionality can differ at different stages during your treatment. How do integration practices differ at, at various stages of your treatment? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that just as intention changes throughout the phases, so do integration activities. So while somebody is just settling, learning how the medicine works, and maybe looking for kind of a reset and letting their nervous system come to rest, integration activities really focused around self-care are very, very effective. Relaxation techniques, learning how to find calm in the nervous system in between sessions, taking advantage of those few days right after a ketamine session where you might effortlessly just feel a little better and more unburdened. Really savoring and practicing that kind of self-care is, is great at the beginning. And then I think integration activities can move more into those that reveal information and insight. Good journaling, using good journaling prompts and self-inquiry to explore the meaning of, of what came up during the sessions and what are the core insights that are coming out of that. And then as you move into the growing phase, integration activities can be, I think, as varied as people are and, and as varied as people's interests are. I'm 
a fan of the phrase, the best integration activity for you is the one that you're actually going to do. And a lot of times in the growth phase, it's a matter of finding trial and error. What types of activities do you like? What is actually going to get you engaged in practicing the skills of, of well-being and growing the parts of your, your brain and your psyche that are going to support new, better adaptive behaviors and allow you to let go of old maladaptive strategies that you have. And then the last one, you know, sort of as you're really getting into the final phases of integration, integration activities are kind of about doing it in the real world, being presented with challenges where you didn't expect that you were going to run into this person at work, or you didn't know that you were going to get a call from your mother or whatever the particular thing is. And you're then you have the opportunity to actually practice everything that you've been working on thus far in your journey out in the real world, in real life. And that that's kind of how activities tend to change and progress as people are going through their whole journey of healing or transformation. I love that you said the activity that they're going to do, because I see so many clients, and I do this as well, I'm guilty as charged. I set out these great expectations that I'm going to do, but if I'm not, if I don't do it, it doesn't do anything. I, you know, so start simple, start easy and just go from there. Yeah. And there are people who I work with who they hate journaling. It's just not something that they vibe with. There are yeah. people who, some people are readers, some people are listeners, some people take in and process information in very different ways. And as an integration coach, one of the things I'm always trying to understand is how do you learn and what's your love language and how are we going to create an integration approach and process that's that's gonna it's gonna be adapted to you and the changes that you're going through. That is key. What works for them? I've had clients the same thing. They don't want to journal or they don't like journaling. They're they're dyslexic and they they have a hard time with it and it it produces anxiety. More anxiety. It's a, it's counterintuitive for a lot of people. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So those clients, I say, don't journal or draw if you need to. Right draw or paint. Or I've had clients who vehemently don't like journaling, but it turns out that going for a walk and using the voice recorder on their phone is a phenomenal way for them to review what happened in a psychedelic session. And they've fallen in love with that modality and wouldn't have even known that that's a great way of capturing their thoughts because they just hate writing for some particular reason. So it sounds like it's important to be open and explore avenues that work for you to get creative in that process and and see what can help you through your journey. Yeah. Dave, would you like to summarize three or four best practices for integration? Yeah, definitely. I think the first one would be have a good intention before you go into the session. It's, it's just going to frame the information and the insights that are revealed by the psychedelic medicine. And that, that might involve working with a good coach or a therapist to get that intention together. And then we haven't even talked about it here, but I would say set and setting is also one of the, the big things that's going to have an impact on your experience. And the third would be understanding how to reflect and how to apply the insights and the information that's, that's coming up from your experience to both practice 
and and then your actual daily life. That would be the the kind of summary, I think, of of what I have to say about integration. Would you recommend that uh, everybody integrates with the third party, or would you recommend is there any self integration that you can do? I think there is a lot of self integration that one can do, a a tremendous amount. Um, but it is oftentimes very hard to think up or develop or or have the practices or the ideas on your own. Because I only meet with my clients once a week or something like that, I'm often giving them exercises and homework and things that they can do on their own. And in the meantime, good journaling prompts and good self-exploration and self-inquiry practices go a long way. And as time goes on, more and more good psychedelic integration workbooks and things like that will start to come out. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Dave, for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us today. We really appreciate you being here. Listeners, again, if there's any comments you'd like to make, if you've had your own psychedelic integration experiences, would like to share with us what has or has not worked for you, please feel free to leave us some comments and we will see you soon. Thanks so much. Always wonderful to be with you too. Once again, thank you for listening to our podcast. And those of you that have taken time to leave reviews and contact us through Instagram, thank you. You can see the show notes at stuckbrainpodcast.com. You can also visit us on Instagram at stuckbrainpodcast, and you can leave what topics you want to hear next. Yeah, we got to wait. Sorry. <laughs> I wonder if we should do a blooper reel, <laughs> right? Just tag it on at the end and say, oh, that weed eater or weed whacker. Yeah, let us know when it clears and then we'll continue.